Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm so ready. The last time we recorded was at night and now it's morning and I, I'm i a different person. I feel completely different. Yeah. <laughs> Mornings are definitely when we should be recording. Yeah. Who was she on Monday? I don't know. <laughs> a zombie. Well, um, I'm glad you have energy because today's topic is Playboy. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Hello, lovely listeners. Audra from the future jumping in to say that for some reason that is definitely not my fault. My microphone didn't turn on until about halfway through this episode. So if the beginning sounds a little bit like I'm recording from inside a tin can, that is why. But you should be able to hear and understand me just as much as you normally do. All right, let's get into the episode. All right. So do you have any... I mean, obviously, you have some knowledge. You've heard of the brand. Yeah. What, what's your impression? So to tie it back to an episode from season one that you should listen to if you haven't yet, I mentioned in the volunteerism episode how my now husband and I went to middle school together. And on one of those volunteerism trips offered by our schools, we went to South Africa. And so I was in the seventh... No, I was in the eighth grade, I think. Um, I must have been like 14. And I remember we were visiting one of the classrooms at the schools in the Soweto province, I think. And one of the kids on their backpack straps had had like a Playboy armband or something. Ooh. The Playboy bunny. Raunchy. Well, I didn't know it at the time because oh. all of the boys were snickering. And Andrew, my now husband, had been like, look, that's a Playboy bunny. And I had been like, whoa. <laughs> Like, I had no idea what that meant. I was like, it's a bunny. Like, it's a kid. It's a bunny. Like, what? what's the joke, you know? But I just don't, I don't remember when I went from that to figuring out what it actually was. I'm sure some of it was, like, in Friends, they make Playboy references. And eventually, I'm sure I picked up on what was actually going on. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, I went to see the Gloria Steinem play. And I remember her having on undercover as a Playboy bunny and talking about her experience. Mm-hmm. And then I obviously know the name Hugh Hefner. Mm-hmm. That and I'm tapped out. Like that's all I've got. Well, I didn't know about the Gloria Steinem piece until I was researching for this episode. And I was like, Oh, my God, our queen out there our queen. <laughs> doing the Lord's work. Well, let's start with Hugh Hefner, who was born in 1926 and died at the age of 91 in 2017 at the Playboy Mansion. So died on his beautiful estate that's like a captain going down with its sinking ship (laughs) exactly honestly so he was a magazine publisher in chicago he was Mm -hmm. working at esquire magazine and okay then they decided to move their headquarters to new york and so he stayed back and decided to start playboy and it was definitely a first of its kind. The first issue was in 1953. So it was definitely very controversial. And his whole thing was kind of disrupting this society that was acting like sex isn't a part of most people's lives. Mm-hmm. So the first issue was December 1953. And Marilyn Monroe was on the cover. But she had not posed for the magazine. Oh, no. Hefner purchased a nude photo from i don't know how to say this name john baumgarth okay (laughs) calendar company so marilyn had posed for the picture under a pseudonym when she was a struggling actress and 
made $50 from that picture. And so then years later, after she got famous, Hefner bought the photo for $500 and launched his entire media empire. And Marilyn didn't make any money off of that and is quoted to have said she had to buy a copy herself to see the photo. Oh, my God. Because he made her the first centerfold which was like the middle picture that spread out and was like the iconic photo of each issue yeah and he called her the sweetheart of the month oh my god the sweetheart that he's exploiting and not paying yeah exactly love to hear it and he had this weird kind of obsession with Marilyn. they never met in like her short life and in 1992 despite having never met her he bought the plot next to her where she was buried no 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 no, no, no for seventy five thousand dollars and told the la times quote spending an eternity next to Marilyn is too sweet to pass up so he's now buried next to this woman the word sweet needs to be like he's not allowed to use that word i know <laughs> no because he doesn't mean it sweetheart too sweet no it's not sweet it's creepy say it with me creepy so creepy. that's not sweet so he is buried next to Marilyn. Yeah. And that's legal. I guess so. That is so messed up. What what year did she die? Do you know? I think like 1960 something. Stop. Stop. Why is this? At that point, what? 70 plus year old man mm-hmm. obsessed with someone who's been dead for 30 years. It's so weird. He's been obsessed with her after she died for as long as she was probably alive. Like, uh... Yeah. And it feels kind of like oh, this woman who was the sex symbol of the 20th century and this man who was like the man spearheading sex in the media, like their legacies fit perfectly together and we should be buried together. And she started the magazine basically. And it's like, yeah, against her will, yeah. <laughs> 30 years, rest in peace, Marilyn. And then it's like, knock, knock. Hi. Like, <laughs> oh God, I cannot believe that. So, that so gross. Creepy. Also, the fact that it was going for $75,000, you know, other people were trying to be buried there, too. So that was my <laughs> other question. <laughs> what is this? cemetery plot selling business like i understand it is a total business though dying is expensive as shit having a nice place to be buried is pricey yeah i just don't think i realized that a plot could go for seventy five thousand dollars in the 90s yeah well given that marilyn was on the cover and naked on the centerfold the magazine was an instant success and of course. it offered this escape from post-war life and sexual repression. Mm-hmm. And at first, I thought that the magazine was just images and maybe blurbs about the women. But I also learned from the show Friends that they do jokes. <laughs> yes. And according to Ross Geller, hard-hitting journalism. <laughs> so I, yeah, so they actually did have a lot of really well-written articles and interviews and fiction pieces And the famous logo of the bunny came in the second issue and then became like a staple of the brand. Mm. But I think Hefner really prided himself on not just having these like beautiful women in the magazine and knowing that that was going to sell, but having these pieces that were subversive in some way and treating it as this like cultural critique. And so he started putting out this like editorial called the Playboy Philosophy in the magazines where he would write basically like in an effort to showcase that the magazine was more 
than just looking at naked pictures. It was like the quote, Playboy's editor publisher spells out for friends and critics alike our guiding principles and editorial credo. Mm. And so in each one, he would talk about censorship and politics and religious repression and sexuality. And in an article by Carrie Pizzullo for Politico, she says, quote, people paid attention to what Playboy had to say in noteworthy interviews and journalistic pieces because of their engagement with the social, political, and cultural issues of the day. Hefner's politics, and thus the magazines, challenged the American status quo in ways beyond sexuality. And it was considered really progressive in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. which is so difficult. Like, as I was researching this, I had no progressive ideas about Playboy. I know. And so it's interesting to hear about how it came about and how right. if there was a magazine right now that came out that was like, we're talking politics, we're talking sex, we're talking re- religious repression, we're talking censorship, we're turning things on its head, all this stuff, I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Playboy, the goal was to call into question gendered expectations for both men and women. So men at the time, the magazine idealized a man who was happy, single, out on the town, concerned with aesthetics, which were kind of qualities that at the time were very different from like the stoic family man Mm -hmm. and the post-war expectations. Mm -hmm. And men acting carefree and concerned with their looks were shunned for either being thought to be gay or neurotic or mentally ill for focusing on the wrong things. Wow. So 50s were wild. Yeah. So he wanted to show men. I, I almost picture it like the caricature of like a man in the 20s, you know, like, yeah, with like nice hair and a good suit and out getting drunk with beautiful women, you know, like that was his kind of ideal man, not this like all American boy who yeah. fought in the war, you know, and then women, as we know, were not expected to have their own sexual desires mm-hmm. and should only see sex as a way to please their husband on his terms. And he wanted to show that, quote, good girls could also like sex. And so he would have these very stylized images that were, you know, very curated and aspirational, of course, but he wanted to show women like doing daily activities. So like getting ready to go to the office or at school or vacuuming or whatever. Yeah, like in like sexy outfits or naked, but doing regular activities to kind of merge the world of like the classic stay at home mom isn't asexual. Yeah. And I think it sounds like a super cool idea. And especially for the time, like, Showing, oh, you can simultaneously like be a career woman who goes to an office and put on sexy lingerie or whatever. And he would also have these little biographies for the women that were embellished and kind of like a story, but it would create like a more three dimensional image of them. So he wanted the readers to know that these were the same women that you would see at the grocery store. Yeah. And that they were just as sexual as someone like at a strip club or something. No, and that. The way you describe it, yeah, it actually sounds nice and like something I would support. But (laughs) there's also a part of me that feels like that's a nice way of spinning the photographing of naked women without proper compensation to cater to a male gaze and a male fantasy. Mm -hmm. Like at some point, I still feel that there are different ways to position women as sexual beings. And some of those ways include... Asking the women what their fantasies would be and what they would like to see men doing. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. 
I think when they're continually treated like a pawn in this movement, mm-hmm. it still doesn't feel like we're actually serving them, no matter how, quote unquote, progressive the intention. Because if you're mm-hmm. just like taking women that you're holding to a ridiculous beauty standard, mm-hmm. that you're putting on a set where they have no say in what they're wearing, what they're doing, etc., they're not going to be paid appropriately. And those women... It's not their fantasies being portrayed. It's men's fantasies. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, are we really honoring the fact that women are sexual? Mm -hmm. Or are we claiming to, to get away with just taking pictures of our fantasies as men? Yeah. You know? No, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. The subtitle of Playboy is entertainment for men. Like, it's very clearly geared towards the male gaze. And I think ultimately, perhaps the most progressive thing that it was doing for the time is showing to men that women could potentially be multifaceted without it being about a woman seeing the magazine and being like, oh, I feel so seen. That's me. Yeah. Maybe they did. Maybe they felt that way. But that wasn't the goal. Yeah. And that wasn't taken into account, you know? Totally. And Hafner was also, like I said, he included a lot of his politics in the magazine. He was a huge champion for gay rights. He was an anti-war advocate a civil rights advocate, a reproductive rights advocate. Like he was shit all up on that stuff. So he had the Playboy Foundation, which donated to rape crisis centers, daycares for working mothers. And even Ruth Bader Ginsburg during her time at the ACLU, the Women's Rights Project, wrote to Playboy to thank them for their $100,000 support. Mm, I'm having a lot of feelings right now. <laughs> I know. It's confusing. It's like... What? It's really confusing, like, too, because even in the Gloria play I mentioned, she obviously, one of her huge tenets of her advocacy was fighting for reproductive rights. She had an abortion herself. It was illegal. The doctor, while he was alive, didn't let her tell anyone his name. And she saw at these hearings, women getting up and telling their stories about how they almost died mm-hmm. during abortions that were under under the table, so to speak. And she famously beefed with Hugh Hefner. And I'm. it's just interesting to know that, like, it, I don't know. I haven't cohered all my thoughts on this, but it's just interesting to know, yeah. like, <laughs> Hugh Hefner is like, yeah, like, rape crisis centers and reproductive rights. I'm like, I'm confused. Yeah. I think this is where we get into whether or not intention matters to us when we're looking at impact. Do we just care about achieving reproductive rights for women Or why someone would want that for women. Mm. Because if at the end of the day we get the reproductive rights, who cares why you were on board? You know, we talk about that with like any political issue of like if you wouldn't do it out of compassion, do it because it'd be profitable or whatever. And at the end of the day, we all win. Yeah. And I say that because while his advocacy was very transgressive for the time and even unfortunately for today, these were also early stages of feminism and that did not subvert traditional heterosexual expectations or beauty standards. And Mm -hmm. the article that I mentioned earlier, Pizzullo's article for Politico put it, quote, of course, liberated women meant straight men could have more consequence free sex. I was like, oh, Oh. that's a great point. That saying, oh, I want reproductive (laughs) rights for women is like, let women be sexy and have sex that if it results in a pregnancy, let her be able to abort that pregnancy because it would benefit me. Yeah, because I don't want to have to deal with it. But ultimately, he was donating and encouraging something that feminists wanted. Right. So it's, you know, it's tough. No, it's so tough. My my brain is literally like, 
a whirlpool of just incoherent thoughts on this right now because a hundred thousand dollars like that's a sick donation to make yeah right? like that's in the 90s too i know it'd be very hard and oftentimes when we're talking about intent versus impact we're talking about people who have good intentions and bad impact mm-hmm. This is the flip. Bad intentions, good impact. Like, yeah, this is not a thing I've thought about quite this way before. Yeah. At this point, they had this Playboy Press magazine that was short-lived called Sugar and Spice, where they published a photo of Brooke Shields nude at 10 years old. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. At 10. I, I, I just like... That's the appropriate response. Full freezing. Audra just leaned back and her Um, face went completely blank. (laughs) I think I'm short circuiting because my understanding was that anyone who finds underage children sexy are pedophiles. Yeah. So I'm confused that this is like in a mainstream cater to the average man type of publication. Yeah, I think so... From my research, I don't know if there's something else out there. I don't think there are any allegations against Hugh Hefner directly engaging with underage children. I think I think 17 was maybe the youngest person that he tried to sleep with. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, we'll talk about this in a bit, a lot of the Playboy bunnies later on said that he had, he was very obsessed with keeping things legal or, or was always kind of thinking about not getting in trouble. But he liked girls that looked really young. He wanted them to, like, be completely shaved. Yeah. Wanted them to look as childlike as possible. So I think he had something going on. It's just creepy. And I have more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Does Brooke Shields know this picture is being published in this way? Is she getting compensated? And how old is she at the time? Like, was it... She's 10 years old at the time, I believe. She posed for it, and I believe her mom kind of, like, encouraged her to. Um, Nude. Yes. But she, yeah, she fully, like, posed for this photo. Obviously, she can't consent. She's 10. Of course. But, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. um, (laughs) So the magazine was just the beginning of the Playboy brand and Hefner's legacy. So he was married to his first wife. The marriage ended because he was prioritizing the magazine, And this is kind of when his reputation as a ladies man really grows. Like now he can really embody the playboy spirit. So he was seen as this like really friendly and really approachable guy that was like nice to everyone would be like, oh, hi. Like women would come up to him and be like, oh, my gosh, Hugh Hefner, whatever. He's like, oh, hi, sweetie. Like, what's your name? Hi, honey, blah, blah, blah. Like very nice. Not like I'm a diva. Don't talk to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But also known as very controlling, Mm -hmm. which I'm not surprised. That's another benefit to working with younger women. Yeah, exactly. And he was always surrounded with groups of young, beautiful women out on the social scene. Mm -hmm. And so he founded these private key clubs. So there were these clubs that, you know, you needed to have this issued key to enter. And they had cocktail waitresses dressed in the like iconic bunny outfits with little tails and whatever. And this is another thing, like all races were welcome, even when segregation was still enforced. So it's like, oh, well, that's good. But also, I bet it was just because you were like, more people, more money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, don't don't make me question how much I hate you, please. Yeah. (laughs) And it was of huge interest to know what was going on in these clubs because they were so exclusive and 
iconic and stuff. So this brings us to the legend Gloria Steinem. Yes. Who went undercover as a bunny in the early 60s in Manhattan when she was working at Show Magazine. And she didn't think she was going to get hired because it was advertised as this like really coveted opportunity Mm -hmm. and she was already considered too old (laughs) even though she was 28 well she told them she was 24 and they were like that's kind of old whoa she was (laughs) she was actually 28 so that comes back a bit to the focus on the young girls like if 24 is already like even leo dicaprio will screw a 24 year old exactly that's what i was gonna (laughs) say like come on okay but they seemed kind of desperate for waitresses because it wasn't as great for them as was advertised. They were paid shit. So basically, she's like, you know, nervous about this hiring process. She creates a whole persona, like has her name and her whole background and whatever. And so when she gets to the interview, she's talking to the woman hiring and giving her whole background to like seem credible. And she was told by the woman interviewing her, quote, we don't like our girls to have a background. We want you to fit into the bunny image. Oh, okay. (laughs) So. Loud and clear. Understood. <laughs> Got it. I am an object, not a person. I am I an you. animal, not a person. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and so some of the stuff that she had to do. Okay, so they told her to stuff her costume to increase her cleavage. She said that the costumes were extremely tight, that like they couldn't breathe, that the shoes they had to wear were cutting up their feet. They weren't allowed not to wear heels. Um, they had really poor salaries and treatment They had a demerit system where they would get strikes for different infractions, which would correlate to a dollar amount deducted from their paycheck. So, for example, if the white of the fluffy bunny tail got dirty, they would get a demerit. Wait, how is that possibly their fault? Like, what if a customer gets a dirty? It's like you're in a dirty club with men touching you and it's bright white. Of course, it's going to get dirty. Yeah. And it's behind you. You can't even see it. Right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But I don't know. Um, if their nail polish was chipped, if their hair got messy, if they ate in the bunny room, like in the green room, they weren't allowed to eat in there. Wait, why? Like there aren't even customers back there. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. They had to pay two fifty a day to cover the cost of cleaning the costumes and $5 for the black tights, which were super thin. And if they got a run in them, they would have to buy a new pair and they would get a demerit for it. So not only are they barely getting paid, they also have to pay to use the uniform (laughs) that they're told to use. Has any pair of tights ever not had a run in it? Like, that's that's such an unavoidable thing that it's so obviously just squeezing money out of these girls. You know what I mean? It's like, that is not a believable demerit. Every pair of tights ever has had a run in it. Well, that's also because you're a woman and you've worn tights and you know that. Right. Hugh Hefner's sitting there like, I want them to look clean and polished and whatever. And like... (laughs) He probably doesn't even know or care that there's a run in the tights. It's like as if you had a rip in your jeans and he's like, fix it. Yeah. Like you don't look clean and polished for my image. Like half the time I'm putting on a new pair of tights as I'm pulling on the brand new pair of tights because the old one had a run in it. Mm-hmm. My nails, which it sounds like they all have. Because yeah. That's another thing they could get a demerit for. <laughs> your nails as you're pulling them up. Grip it. A new run. Yeah. As it's brand new out of the packaging. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, They also had to buy their own heels and you got a demerit if they were shorter than three inches. They had to sign a release form to use any pictures taken of them like throughout the night. Whatever people take. But they're not going to make money off that picture being sold later on. No, 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 no. Andra, don't be ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) We're running a business here. Right, right. (laughs) They also, 
they were strictly forbidden to go out with any of the customers, like to sleep with them or to leave with them. So they would get fired if they did that. But they would also get a demerit if they refused advances in a rude way. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) talk about like walking this tightrope. Like a girl while Gloria Steinem was there got a demerit for rejecting someone. And she was like, I'm sorry, I thought we were not supposed to go home with the customers. And the girl was like, I guess she said it kind of rude. I I don't understand. This is another thing like you're saying. We know how impossible that is because we're women who have been put in these situations before. But Hugh Hefner has probably never tried to fend off a drunk man who won't quit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can be as nice as you want and they think it's a game. Like if you are rejecting their advances kindly to them, that is still a green light. Like how do you reject a drunk persistent man without being rude at some point. Like, there's no way not to. And she could have also been perfectly nice and right. the man interpret any rejection as being rude. So there's no there's no way to know, <laughs> you know? And the reason that they couldn't go out with the men was because Hefner was like, men are only interested in women when they can't have them. And so once they do, the, like, glamorous, untouchable allure goes away and that ruins the fantasy of the Playboy brand. So... We want them to keep coming back, but you can't give them what they want. There was only an exception for number one key holders who were like the real big shots. Do they like pay more in dues or something? I guess. I think it was like more important people. (laughs) Mm. And then in that case, it was kind of like you have to go sleep with them. Who are number one key holders? Is that like politicians? Like is JFK rolling through these key clubs? I wouldn't be surprised. Right? Like, who's who's a number one key holder? Yeah, I guess so. I guess people, like, maybe, like, really famous actors or politicians or people with a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know. Also, you're going to be horrified about this. I, I know you've been horrified the entire time, but... <laughs> the interview process sent her to a doctor to get a full physical exam, including a gynecological exam and blood work. Um, why? They said it was required to be a waitress in New York that you had to go get like a physical, which was complete bullshit. That wasn't true. And when she asked questions about it, was like, okay, well then can I go to my own doctor? And they had a specific doctor. She was met with, well, why Why would you care? It's free. And usually when someone denies these kind of tests, it's because they're hiding something. Like, why do you need to look inside my vagina to give me a job as a waitress? Especially if, who the fuck cares if I have an STI when I'm not allowed to sleep with the clientele anyway? Exactly! Okay, so the results of that gynecological exam, I assume, go straight the fuck back to the key club or the playboy. Yeah, oh, there's no patient doctor confidentiality here. When was HIPAA passed? Seriously, (laughs) like... (laughs) I don't know. I'm, like, gonna Google. I'm... Okay, 96. Okay. I feel like it, if even if it had been passed, they would have been like, you bring it to us. Yeah. Like, you, if you want this job, you show it to me. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm sure they could get around whatever. She also received a bunny Bible that she had to study. I'm sure the Christians were so upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrilege! The bunny Bible. Just like Jesus with a the little bow tie from the Playboy bunny. <laughs> so she had to study the bunny bible okay and it explicitly had like a code of conduct and that when you're talking to customers you need to pretend like their opinions are interesting to you and kind of coddle their ego (laughs) 
that's womanhood, baby. <laughs> exactly. It was like, you didn't need to put that in a book. I know. <laughs> We've been doing that. Hugh, why do you think people find you interesting? Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing that. <laughs> no one finds you interesting. That's not why they're here. <laughs> there were also different roles for each bunny. So there were the table runners, like the drink girls and the door girls and whatever. And the the table bunnies had to memorize 13 pages of drink menus. Oh, my God. I was like, what are these cocktails? Like, how many? How could you have 13 pages of drinks? I'm shocked. <laughs> like, just, just order a whiskey. I know. Meat. And do you just- imagine these drunk men, like, pawing through 13 pages? Like, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> so Steinem was obviously doing this to expose what was going on inside. Yeah. And not as you know, out of desperation for money or career or anything. Right, right, right. She had someone else show magazine to pay her bills. Exactly. Yeah. And so she says that she doesn't regret doing it, but that even to this day, when people want to criticize her or put her down, they say, well, she was a bunny once. Mm. And basically everything that she discovered further exposes that Hefner's whole like sexual revolution shit was exclusively for men. It was a sexual revolution for men. Right, because they're, I mean, their tights can't even have a fucking run in them. Let me tell you, it would be very hard to feel sexually free while changing your tights every two minutes. Like, And paying $5 in the 60s for a pair of tights when you're barely making any money. <laughs> so next kind of chapter in Playboy's history are the big parties and the Playboy Mansion in L.A. So he had this incredible, huge lavish estate where he would throw incredible parties that were invitation only and i didn't know that it was all like a-list celebrities like cameron diaz and like Whoa. like like really famous actors and musicians Wait, like what decade are we in <laughs> now we're in like the 90s early 2000s okay okay and how old is he at this point so he's 70s 80s yes he's in his 70s going into his 80s so okay okay so he's in his 70s and cameron diaz is like 20 at the time and so they're it's quite the age range it sounds like at this party yes and it was like the place to be getting an invitation was a huge deal especially for girls who were not famous and who had other aspirations because if they could get hugh hefner's attention it could give them in their minds some sort of leg up in the industry especially because being in the magazine was very coveted to be in the to be a playmate to be on the cover or the centerfold of one of the monthly issues yeah so if you got invited to one of these parties you could get Hefner's attention and then you might get invited to these more intimate Sunday pool parties that he would throw that had like 20 girls then he would invite some of his friends but they would be playing backgammon like in the corner and the girls would be like frolicking in the pool and the men, it was like understood that they're not really supposed to engage with the women, that the women are there for Hefner's entertainment and like background noise. So you just have this group of old men playing backgammon and then these like 19, 20 year old girls jumping around the pool. And wait, so he's in his 70s. He's still having young women over. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The age range does not change for the women. I honest to God think that if Marilyn had lived until let's say, whatever, 60, however old he was when he bought that plot next to her, if she was still alive at that point, no way in hell he would have bought that plot. Like, he bought it because she died when she was young, so he has no idea how she aged. Totally. He he would have been saying, 
What a shame. She was such a beauty. Yeah, Hugh, you're wrinkly as fuck too. Like, get over it. So for the girls who are at the pool party, their kind of next step would be to try to become one of the girlfriends who were allowed to live in the mansion with him. So he, he did he not get married again after his first wife? He did. Oh, <laughs> um, and I see. So this is just like what you're signing up for when you marry Hugh. Like he'll just have a lot of girlfriends coming over on any given day of the week. Yeah, I think at this point he was married to, I believe his second wife who he had children with and she lived in like a house next door. They were like separated kind of, but they didn't get divorced I think for like the sake of the kids, I'm like, the kids are fully aware dad's not home, you know? Yeah. But he would have like a day of the week that the kids were come over with the mom and they would like have a meal or whatever. And once the the last kid turned 18, that's when they got divorced. I see. Okay. So he's fully married right now, (laughs) but she's like not involved. Sounds like he was like waiting for the kid to turn 18 to be like, all right, see ya. Literally. Yeah. A lot of waiting around for people to turn 18. I know. uh Honestly, but okay, um, so the girlfriends live. In so the there are a couple girls that live in the mansion. And then if you were a girlfriend, hopefully he would put you in the magazine. And if you were a playmate of the month, now you're in the running for playmate of the year and playmate of the year wins not just, you know, fame and notoriety, but $100,000 and a brand new car. So this this is just all these steps. It gives cult. You know, like <laughs> all the ranks. 100%. Yeah, you're, you're double diamond level <laughs> playmate now. Exactly. And if you just spend 10 more dollars. <laughs> you just jump in one more pool. You just come over yeah. three more Sundays. Yeah. Exactly. So for the sake of time, we're only going to focus on one of the iconic, probably the most important of the bunnies, Holly Madison. Have you heard of her? Yes. But I don't know that much about her. Perfect, because I read her memoir for us. Oh, great. (laughs) So she has a memoir called Down the Rabbit Hole. And so she moved to L.A. as an aspiring actress. And she was a student at Loyola Marymount. And so she was studying, took out a bunch of student loans because it's a private university and was trying to act, was in a ton of debt and was just trying to hustle as best as she could. She was working at Hooters and she was invited to one of these parties and she was so excited it was like such an opportunity to improve her lifestyle both her and her roommate got invited they were like holy shit it's happening she barely had any money to like buy the appropriate outfit like the first party she went to it had to be sleepwear or lingerie their themed parties (laughs) exactly it was a midsummer night's dream themed party but the outfits had to be lingerie it was like you realize shakespeare was not no (laughs) like not the outfit of the times, but whatever. <laughs> so if you had never been to the parties before, when you came in, they would take a Polaroid of you and then he would label it A, B, or C. A being like, you should be invited to everything. B like, all right, we'll invite them every now and then. And C kind of like rarely if we're desperate for people or something. Shit. Which is A, gross, but also Polaroids are like notoriously kind of hard to get like a good photo. Yeah. <laughs> so I- <laughs> I wonder how many girls would have been an A, but he was throwing them in the C. Like, it doesn't seem like the best system. And we need to better operationalize this, Hugh. I know. You're missing out on so many hot girls. Mm -hmm. So she then became, she was very confident at these parties. She just like went up to Hugh and introduced herself and was like, hi, I love this. Like, I would love to come another time. I'd love to come to the Sunday parties. Like, she was very out there and like excited. Was Was she an A? She doesn't find out until years later that she was an A. Got it. Okay. So she started getting invited to the Sunday parties and 
she was so honored. She was like, oh my gosh, I'm here with like 20 other girls. I can really stand out versus in the big parties that there's hundreds and hundreds of people. And she noticed that the girlfriends that live in the mansion wouldn't come out to the parties, to the Sunday pool parties. And she was so confused. Like, why wouldn't you want to be out here? This is so fun. And then later realized that it was like their one time to have a break from Hefner because other women were entertaining them. So they would just like sit in their room and be like, finally, I can have a moment to myself. Just so sad. She was sitting there like in the pool so excited. Like, do they not like pools? Like, what's wrong with them? That's that's when you know you're burnt the fuck out at the most existential level that like a fun pool party obviously i know it's mm-hmm. not really your run-of-the-mill pool party but like you know you're burnt out when like something that really should be fun is like oh my god thank god i don't have to go to that you know yeah it's so sad uh, yeah. so ultimately again holly just asked him directly if she could live there it's like i would love to live here and it was basically a prerequisite that she had to sleep with him before she could move in Okay. How old is she at this point? She is 21. Okay. So they go out one night. She gets invited to go out with the girlfriends and he offers her quaaludes and she didn't accept them, mostly because she had been told that he was very concerned about being caught with drugs at the house, that he was, you know, worried that the FBI was onto him or something. So he had a very like no drugs policy. Obviously there were drugs everywhere, but he gave this kind of speech and so she thought she was being tested and so she said no and she was like oh i don't really do drugs and he was like oh i don't usually do drugs either but you know in the 70s we used to call these thigh openers (laughs) (laughs) and when she was living in the house she said that he was giving them out all the time at night to like relax the girls before sex oh my god yeah oh my god So she goes back this first night and there was this sort of bedtime routine that he would have a couple times a week where all the girls had to come in and have sex with him, like this big orgy. And she thought, well, maybe it's my first time here. Like, maybe I won't have to. And then she's kind of like shoved into the situation. And there were some girls who would leave their underwear on as an indication that they they were on their period, so they couldn't have sex. Uh. And some girls would just sometimes wear them anyway because they were so tired of having sex with this man and then he'd be like pressuring them to take it off and be like i know you're not on your period like you've been wearing the underwear like for the last two weeks or something you know so they had these tactics of trying to avoid yeah as much sex with this man as possible and there was this one girlfriend specifically who was kind of a groomer for hefner who would pick up girls to bring back Mm -hmm. for him to sleep with and because she didn't so she wouldn't have to have sex with him as often oh so she could like step back a bit and he wouldn't get mad at her because she's bringing all these girls all the time so it's so awful like this this woman suffering and then throwing these other women under the bus as her only those are her only options within this system Mm -hmm. it reminds me of how you're much more likely to become a bully if you were bullied or to become a sexual abuser if you were sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And it seems so confusing. Like, why would you want the same harm done? And there's a lot of complicated reasons, but I think there's also a lot of anger in the case of this woman of what she's had to endure. And the anger translates to lack of empathy for other girls and like a deep individualistic self-protection. So I, I don't think what she did was correct, but I really feel for her. Um, Right. And it's one of those things where it's like, we can, hurt for the women she ends up bringing in as well but ultimately like the blame lies with like 
Hugh and these broader yeah. systems that make what he's doing permissible. And she's trying to protect herself. And ultimately, like, she should have never been in that situation in the first place. And societally, like, we could have been doing more to prevent that from happening. Yeah. So this was Holly's first night at the mansion, and she was extremely uncomfortable and ashamed. But in her book, she describes she describes how bad she felt after. And she was saying, I know people are going to say, well, why didn't you just leave that same day? Like, why didn't you? You saw what it was going to be like. Get out of there. And she said that she felt after feeling that bad about herself, she needed to get something out of compromising her boundaries in that way that she was like, if I leave now, I'm just going to feel like shit about myself. I need to stay and leave with either being published in the magazine with money, with a place to live. Like she was couch surfing. Like she didn't want, if she was going to be doing something she didn't want to do, she wanted to get something out of it, which again is awful that those are your options. (laughs) No, but she's like, there, there was this, um, Back when I was on the rowing team in high school, there was this like motivational video we used to listen to before races. And one of the lines that I remember was, if you're already in pain, why not get a reward from it? Like, don't quit halfway through this race just because it's hard, right? Some cost fallacy. (laughs) Exactly. But it's like a similar idea for Holly. Like, if I'm already in pain, why not get a reward from this? And I mean, I get it. I I get it. Yeah. And she had also seen a lot of girls who left the mansion either voluntarily or got kicked out who ended up having to move back home or going into other forms of sex work that she didn't want to do. So she was like, this seems kind of like my best option. Like, I'll just do this and try to get a leg up in my career. And she says in the book, she's like, now looking back, I'll, you know, ask the audience, how many playmates can you name? Oh, you know, like there have been so many and like, how many do you even know? Like I was striving for this notoriety that didn't really exist. Oh, and that's so sad. That is so sad. And it was very difficult for her to get the full story of what living there was going to be like from the other girlfriends. There was a lot of gatekeeping of information. They would kind of play it up and say it's super nice and really easy to live here. Like you get money, you just go to parties, you you go out. Like there was a basically like a 24 hour room service that you could order any food that you wanted and deliver it up to your room and made it sound like this amazing hotel. And they also a lot of times would t- like they would tell girls outside of the house, oh, we don't have to sleep with him. Like you don't have to do anything like that. Mm. So she kind of entered the house not really knowing how bad it was going to be. And It was confusing because Hefner wanted the public image to be that he was sleeping with all these women and that they were all his girlfriends and like so in love with him and so obsessed with him, even though obviously they weren't. But he was (laughs) kind of delusional. But there was this one girl who was living in the mansion and then she went on Howard Stern and Howard Stern asked her, so do you all sleep with him? And she was like, no, yeah, we live there, but we don't sleep with him. Only the main girlfriend sleeps with him. Because then out of the like seven girls that live there, there's the main girlfriend. So another tier system. Mm. And he got so mad that he banned her from the mansion and like from all Playboy parties and events and whatever. And I don't know if she was trying to say it because she didn't want to say that she was sleeping with him or if she thought that they weren't supposed to say it. Like, it was all very confusing how they would talk to the outside world. But also, there was also a lot of not talking about what was going on because girls didn't want competition in the house but it was like this fine line where the main girlfriend is the most important girlfriend right so you Mm -hmm. it might be even more likely that you'll get in the magazine you might get more perks but you also have to sleep in his bed with him while the other girls get their own room you have to sit next to him at every meal and like order his drinks for him like you have you have more obligations 
So a lot of the girls were like trying to stay enough in his good graces that he wouldn't replace them, but not so much that they would become the favorite and have to be the main girlfriend because no one actually wanted to do that. (sighs) What a difficult line to toe. My God. Exactly. Also, like imagine having to pay people to spend time with you, like having to sell them on this lifestyle and pitch the house as if it's some luxurious mansion just to have people spend time with you. Yeah. And somehow internalize that you're a hotshot anyway. Are you not embarrassed? Like, this is embarrassing. I know. You're paying people to spend time with you and, like, order your drinks for you. Like, that's embarrassing. I can't. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just, that's so weird. Yeah. So Holly Madison, at the beginning when she entered the house, all the girls were super nice to her because she actually enjoyed some of the activities that Hefner liked to do. Like, he really loved old black and white movies and stuff like that and she all the girls were like i don't want to watch this and holly madison actually really liked that kind of stuff so they were like like all the girls were super nice to holly because they thought okay she'll definitely once the current main girlfriend is out of here he's gonna make her the main girlfriend because she likes to do all the other shit so we need to keep her around and seem like everything's great here, whatever. Then she does become the main girlfriend. Then they started to turn on her a bit because she was such a goody-goody. Like, she wouldn't break curfew or break any of the rules. And so then Hafner would say to the other girls, like, why can't you be good like Holly? And so then they were like, fucking hell, Holly. Can you come out with us once in a while so, like, we can live our lives? <laughs> so she had quite the roller coaster ride. And... Basically, if you're living in the house, Hugh Hefner would give each of the girls $1,000 a week as an allowance, and they were expected to spend all of it on beauty regimens, whether it's getting their hair and nails done or buying new clothes. They were not supposed to be saving it or spending it on something that wasn't about their appearance. Like some girls would try to pay off some of their student loans, and then other girls would snitch on them. And then Hugh would, like, lower their allowance. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's, like, specifically, I'm giving you $1,000 to look every week, similar to how he was controlling in the club, like, the clean tail and the nails and the whatever. It's like, I want you to look a certain way. And so I'm going to give you the money to do that. But this is not me paying you to be my girlfriend. It's giving you the money to look like the girlfriend I want you to be. So this isn't supposed to be free money that you go spend as you will. But theoretically, they're not able to get another job, right? No. So it's not like they are otherwise able to pay off their student loans. No. Right? So like, it's just like, okay, fuck you. Like You're going to stay stagnant in your financial situation while at the same time I am bankrolling you to become as beautiful as I expect you to be. Yes. He didn't want it to be a gateway to freedom, I think in his delusion or her what his whatever didn't wa- he still wanted to be in control. He didn't want to feel like oh these girls are going to come into my house and swindle me for all my money and then run away. It's like no, I'm going to if you're going to come, I'm going to put a roof over your head. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take you to lavish parties, but I'm only going to give you a certain amount of money that you can only spend in certain ways and that's the agreement. Mm-hmm. He also got them all fancy cars and even though he could afford to buy them outright he would lease them so that the girls couldn't just like drive off with the car because if they did i mean they could theoretically but they none of them would have been able to afford the lease maintenance of course yeah i mean it's so fucking shitty but i i see what he did there yeah (laughs) he also would pay for cosmetic surgeries stop yeah they weren't mandatory but the girls became so dysmorphic with the high beauty standards and expectations that he had for them that it became completely normal. 
And the most common ones were getting a boob job, a nose job, or lipo. Do you think he was at any point... Obviously, I know there's so much implicit suggestion that you get these surgeries because of those standards that you mentioned. But do you think he was at any point explicitly suggesting that to these girls? Like, you would look so much better with a boob job or like, I wish your titties were bigger or I think you would just make more money doing X, Y, and Z or have a better chance of being a successful actress if you get a nose job or lipo or this or that? I'm not sure. I don't think on Holly Madison's account it was that way. I don't know if he said that to other women. She said she wanted a nose job and asked for one. And she said that he gave kind of his performative speech that I guess he gave most of the girls of like, you don't need to change anything. You're beautiful the way you are or whatever. But if that's what makes you happy, of course, I'll pay for it. So Mm -hmm. unclear. I think it was just a lot of more implicit pressures and what their life was like around them. And it, it just became so normal as as an option to to modify the way they looked. Like Holly mentioned one moment where she like walked into one of the girls' rooms and she was like pinching her legs or her tummy and was like, oh my God, I need lipo. Like the first thing that would come up was like, oh, there's a surgery I can go to go do this. Yeah, right. And it's... <sighs> Also just sad to think about in Holly's position walking into the room and seeing someone who by all accounts you probably consider beautiful and you're watching them pinch their stomach and pinch their thighs and necessarily that reflects back on you and your own body image as you stand there in the room with them thinking, do I also need lipo? Like, is this amount of fat on my love handles or my inner thigh that I can pinch excessive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really cutthroat. They also had a 9 p.m. curfew. Whoa. And they had a lot of like random mandatory events like their whole schedule for the week was planned based on events that he wanted to do like this is when we have movie night and this is when we have the sunday parties and this is when we have blah 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 and so they had to be kind of at his beck and call for his schedule and then they'd have like their downtime when he didn't need them or when he was hanging out with his kids does this man ever work like i don't understand <laughs> uh, unclear <laughs> okay uh, like unclear. okay good point where who's running the magazine right and holly also talks about how you know living in this house she started getting depressed and was experiencing suicidal ideation and felt really trapped and like she wasn't herself anymore and so she asked Hugh Hefner if she could go to see a psychiatrist and he said no because they would just tell her to leave the mansion so then eventually he did let her go to a doctor that he picked and the doctor gave her an antidepressant and said that she was just anxious because they were about to start shooting a new TV show about the girls. What's interesting is that with Hugh saying, oh, I know what they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you to leave the mansion. It's just inches away from the point, which is I am creating yeah. a profoundly depressing and inhumane environment for these girls and it is causing suicidal ideation. I may be... Should not be doing this. Yeah, he's he's fully aware. He's fully aware yeah. of what he's yeah. doing. So the show that they started was called Girls Next Door. I don't know if you ever heard of this show. No. It was on the E! Network. And it basically followed... It was like a reality show that followed the girls living in the mansion. And it made it seem like every girl's dream, even though that's also very male gazy of what they think every girl's dream is. Can I ask a quick question? Mm-hmm. Were all of these girls like white blonde thin women yes yes okay yes because it's interesting i know that the key clubs had quote-unquote like integrated racially service workers or waitresses no i'm not sure 
I'm not sure if the waitresses were, maybe they were, but the the guests. Oh. Oh, that's way more insidious. Yeah. I thought that you had meant back when we were talking about those key clubs that the servers could also be black, which I was actually like, okay, okay. Maybe they could have. What I read just said the cocktail bar was integrated even though other bars were not. I'm not sure if that extended to the waitresses or not. Well, okay. So I'm looking it up right now. I think it may have been the case that there were also black servers because the, I believe the first black playmate of the month was on the 1965 issue. So he was in the 60s putting black women on the cover. Okay. And was it the servers? Were they called bunnies? And then at the mansion, they're his girlfriends? Was that yes. the lingo? Okay. I believe that the bunnies is kind of interchangeable. But a playmate is only if you've been in the magazine. Got it. Got it. Okay. It's like a rectangle and a square type situation. <laughs> um, but on the TV show, they were all white. Okay. They basically showed them, you know, living as if it were a sorority house. Like mm. living with your best friends, going shopping, having this luxury lifestyle. And none of the girls were paid to be on the show. <gasps> stop. 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 This is like toddlers and tiaras all over again. I was about to say that. Stop. And it brought it brought in so much money, and they also sold merch like in their <gasps> likeness. They didn't see any money Stop. from that. No fucking way. Trash. Trash. That's like oh my god, bear. That's crumbs. Like it's like table <laughs> stakes to be getting some sort of royalties or some sort of percentage of your merch or something. But how could they say no? I guess. I mean, so so Hugh is obviously profiting off of this, but not. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Not the girls. Was it his idea? Do you know? Or did like a network approach him? Um, I'm not sure. I think maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Hugh was very obsessed with fame and glory and just being known for being famous and just being like an American icon. So I think any opportunity for more publicity, he was down for. Yeah. Do you know what's weird? It's like people say about the Kardashians, for example, they're famous for being famous. Without getting into whether or not that is applicable, because I could spend probably two entire seasons talking about the Kardashians, my point is that's a common refrain that I hear in criticism of that family. Mm -hmm. But in so many ways, he was kind of one of those people who's like famous for being famous. I totally understand. Yes, he started a publication and I get that. But at some point, it's like we're really not talking about him in the context of the magazine. Like most of the time I hear people talking about him. As a literal playboy, like yeah. as a ladies man in yes. his robe with a cigar in hand and young people decades, decades his junior sitting on his lap. That's what we talk about when we talk about Hugh Hefner. Exactly. And it's interesting that we're able to lob this criticism at the Kardashians. Like you're just famous for being famous. But then when this clearly fame obsessed man is so fucking thirsty mm-hmm. that he is making a TV show about his many girlfriends while he is or maybe is not married mm-hmm. and they're not even seeing a penny. Mm-hmm. We're not criticizing him. Like, excuse me. I mean, I'm sure people were at the time, obviously, but it's sometimes I feel like our criticism of certain celebrities is the way we criticize them, even if it's legitimate, is still gendered. A hundred percent. Yeah. And he was happy to have that title. He'd created this whole like cult of personality and clearly became way less interested in making a publication that was political and expressing his opinions and being an advocate and all this stuff that he was doing when he first started the brand. I mean, to be fair... The man is in his 80s. Yeah. 
he can stop working, you know, <laughs> he is, he is old. But at this point, I think it was a lot more of just being known in a certain way, being this yeah kind of Gatsby like guy. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's no need to keep up the facade anymore. Like if you're mm-hmm. trying to like keep people's attention and like keep getting publicity, you have to do things like you have to do unexpected things like donating I guess, to reproductive rights. Yeah. And I see how it is in a perverse way in keeping with his brand, but it is still relatively unexpected. Whereas when he's 80 and he's not working and he's already so famous, like what is pushing him to donate? I mean, I don't know if he was donating at the time, but it sounds like that was more of like a shtick in the beginning. Yeah. Unclear. I don't know if he continued to behind the scenes. I don't think he led with that as much anymore. Yeah. Um, Imagine he was like donating to like mental health (laughs) or something. (laughs) I'd be like... (laughs) So not probably. to Holly's, but <laughs> yeah, just to other people's. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, these women weren't seeing a penny from this show. And Holly at the beginning really saw herself probably only being in the house for like a year because she had seen so many girls come in and out. And she thought, I'll just be here for a year. And then, you know, I'll go launch my acting career. Mm-hmm. And she ended up staying for a long time. And she as she became the main girlfriend, she had a lot of admiration and this is why it feels so culty as well Mm -hmm. she had a lot of admiration for him and really respected him from the beginning and there was a lot of love bombing and grooming and telling her you know she was so much more mature than the other girls in the house and that she was serious and special and that she liked the same things as him and she ended up really falling in love with him Mm. and looking back she thinks her feelings were really muddled by the whole crazy experience but at the time she felt Like she was in love with him and he was saying to her, you know, I'm going to be with you forever. It's you and me, blah, blah, blah. Things would be so much better if the other women weren't here. Yeah, Uh, As if he's not paying them to keep them around. I'm like, that's completely in your control, bro. Uh." Yeah, it's sort of like what we talked about. I don't even remember when this would have been, but with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, like Mm -hmm. we're not trying to suggest that. Well, there's a lot going on. We don't need to get into it. But like, it doesn't really matter if Monica had like serious and legitimate feelings for Bill, because the point being whether or not those were complicated by his stature, the point is he's like 30 years older than him and the president of the United States. (laughs) And he's exploiting that position of power by sleeping with a 22 year old intern. Like, yeah, whether or not. Monica feels like this was a consensual relationship that doesn't make Bill Clinton blameless. And similarly, even if Holly truly and deeply did feel so loving and like admiring of Hugh, that can all still be valid while we hold Hugh accountable for taking advantage of this young girl who we won't let see a psychiatrist, you know? Mm -hmm, Exactly. And also if you're kind of living in this fun house, this like house of mirrors and weird reality However big or small your world is, you're going to adapt to that. So if you're kind of stuck in this house with these girls that you don't get along with and everything's catty and petty. And then there's this this one guy who literally provides your shelter and your food and your car and your clothes. And he's telling you all the time that you're so special and you see all the girls that try to be in your position. Obviously, she's going to believe that. And that's her entire universe at this point. Yeah, exactly. So they actually tried to have a kid together. But I guess he wasn't really fertile anymore. Mm. And that was one of the catalysts for her wanting to leave the house. She was kind of coming to terms with not being okay with the way she was living and not seeing a future at the house that would give her the life that she wanted. Then the other two remaining girls that were on the show with her 
left the house as well. So now it was just her in the house with him. And she thought things might actually be better. But he got more abusive and was lashing out at her more. Because I don't think he ever really wanted just one partner, you know. And once his kind of lifestyle was declining. And I think the magazine was also struggling more financially. And they struggled a lot with the increase in online porn. Because why would somebody go buy a magazine of nude photos when you can have free films online? So she ended up leaving. And there's more to her book about her life once she left. And she became very successful in her own right and became a performer and did the kind of stuff she wanted to do. So very happy for her. Good. Oh, good. And after he passed away in 2017, there were a lot of other playmates who came forward with abusive stories. Mm -hmm. And he died before the Me Too movement was really in full swing. So a lot of the accusations came after that. And obviously he couldn't respond and he couldn't be held accountable. Right. So lots of women from across the decades basically came out talking about how it was very cult-like, it was very abusive, it was very manipulative, that they felt like they just had to be performing for him and pretending to be a family and like we're all together and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like it's funny that at the time, and I think even still that it's not really talked about as a cult because it was so in the public eye, it wasn't, you know, some dude in a white robe in the desert. Right. But having some old man keeping a bunch of women in his house and controlling their behavior and saying, we're all a family and we all have sex together and whatever. Like, that's a cult. I'm surprised that from the outside, people weren't saying, what what is this cult going on over here in the Hollywood Hills? Yeah, I, I'm about to say something ignorant. Like, I don't know anything about the Manson family, but isn't that kind of his same deal too? It's like, it's like a sex cult. Like, I just like make people sleep with me and hold them hostage, more or less. And then they became murderers. But right, right. I think we have an idea of what a cult looks like. And it, I feel like it looks more like hippy dippy in our minds of like right. the Manson family. It was also that era of like the 60s. But I think having someone who's so famous and all this opulence and all this wealth and glamour and this iconic brand across you know, American history and whatever. It's just like, oh, he's just a rich guy. Nobody questions when Leonardo DiCaprio's on a yacht with 20 models. Right. That's just... That's their It's just thing. what it's like to... It's just Hollywood. How can it be a cult if they have their own TV show and they wear Juicy Couture tracksuits? Like, it's just glamour. It just... It falls in line. Like, it fits easily into how aspirational Hollywood is. So it's like, well, I don't understand what it's like to be that rich and famous. Maybe that's normal over there. And... We're not going to really get into it because I don't care about Hugh Hefner and his love life. But he got married one more time (laughs) to the next main girlfriend that came in after Holly Madison. Okay. And people were like, oh, Holly must be so upset. Like, because he never married her. And she was like, no, I'm so good. Like, I'm so glad. Thank God. Thank God. (laughs) That didn't happen. I know. But I wanted to end with the high note that Holly Madison got out of there and Mm -hmm. created a life for herself advocated for herself in the industry and has been performing she's had different vegas shows that she's done and she did dancing with the stars and she's brought in millions of dollars in like with the girl next door show once she left i think they did a second season and the views completely plummeted she- like people just <laughs> kind of followed her yeah and i will say that her memoir 
is it's interesting for the insights that are also well documented outside of her memoir of Mm -hmm. like the allowances and all that stuff. But it is very much written from her perspective. And you can tell that, you know, she'll talk about fights that she had in the house and she very much frames herself as i don't know why this girl was so mean to me and so mad at me there's no reason for anyone to be mad at me and then you'll watch like little clips on youtube of the girl next door show and it's like any like housewives reality tv show i'm like i'm sure you were rude and catty and petty as well right and i don't blame you this environment sounds like horrible right but i was curious after he died what happened to the company and what's going on now yeah before he died in 2015 they stopped posting nude photos because they couldn't compete with online porn. And they thought that the strategy would be still like sexy photos, but more like Sports Illustrated Mm. bikini photo type of thing. And that then maybe they'd be able to secure more advertising deals Mm. to boost up their revenue. But then they brought the news back in 2017. So (laughs) (laughs) I guess it didn't work that well. I guess not. Um, And then Playboy was purchased by Mount Crest Acquisition Company. Okay. In a deal that was valued at $381 million, including $142 million in debt. So they kind of rolled back the printed magazine in 2020 and made it digital. And so now they're much more focused on merchandise, like clothing and sexual wellness products and gaming. Mm. They've also launched thousands of NFTs. <laughs> thousands? <laughs> so, you know, they're really trying to get into the new era of the world. I guess. They... Also started a platform called Centerfold that's like an OnlyFans competitor oh, for yep. just the Playboy bunnies. Mm. And they want to build a new Playboy mansion in the metaverse. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think we're entering fever dream territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is getting weird. Um, okay. I think they have someone on their team who just has like the Apple News like tech section open at all times and any trending topic this person is pitching to playboy they're like nfts seem like a big deal uh so does the metaverse and um crypto like what are you talking about you're gonna have a mansion in the metaverse is hugh gonna be there (laughs) (laughs) honestly a reanimated hugh in the pool playing backgammon we're gonna roll through we're gonna get our allowance to go buy our swimwear and then like go hang out and play backgammon like what are we doing at this mansion in the metaverse i think they're really banking on how recognizable the brand is yeah to compete against online porn and only fans because that's it's just obsolete to go to a kiosk and buy a playboy magazine unless you know if you're trying to collect old vintage ones as some sort of auction item yeah but it's an era that was huge just not really modern times anymore and the company also of course went through the whole publicly denouncing Hugh Hefner due to the many allegations and are you know distancing themselves from his legacy what a joke they never would have done that if he was alive like what a joke (laughs) I know what a joke and they're really trying to stay relevant by saying that they're a sex positive company that 80% of the people that work there are women that's a completely different brand than the one that Hefner led. I mean, I guess we'll see because this man was a fierce activist in the 20th century and was still a sleazeball. So right. I, I think at the end of the day where capitalism and sex meet, it's difficult for me to believe that everything will be above board. 
that there won't be something fishy going on. Especially when, like, there are so many men controlling the purse strings. I'm not sure what the board yeah. or the C-suite at Playboy looks like, but 80% women doesn't really matter when there's a sleazeball at the top. You know, that mansion was yeah. 95% women, but Hugh Hefner's at the top. Like, it doesn't fucking matter if you're 80% women. Who is making those crucial decisions? Yeah. And... Women are just as capable of being problematic as men. So it's not. Yeah. I know when I read that, I was like, are they counting the models in this? <laughs> 80%. I know. And yeah, that's so true. It's just like, no, I don't know what I was going to say, but it's just, it's hard to believe that they are truly a reborn company. Yeah. I think we'll see in the years to come if it just completely flops and can't compete anymore or if they find a way to to pivot accordingly <laughs> so is so i guess whoever acquired them like that's probably i'm assuming a lot of men too it the reason i assume that is because at this point almost every industry is male dominated and most ceos like there are more ceos named john than there are female ceos there are more men in almost any industry besides care work and teaching like i'm just willing to assume that whoever acquired them is predominantly male as well so, I mean, I'm not sure what the debt situation is, but it sounds like it's probably, if they're turning a profit now, men profiting. Yes. So the CEO is a white man. Of Playboy or of the company that acquired them? Of Playboy. Okay. So the Playboy leadership management team, we have Ben Kahn as the CEO. Then we have Rachel Weber as the chief brand officer. Then we have Mark Crossman as the COO, Ashley Ketcher as president of Global Consumer Products, and Chris Riley as their general counsel. So we have three men and two women, all white. <laughs> Great. Love that. Like we say, though, too, it's like, to your point about women being able to be problematic, like, would it be that much better if it was an all-female C-suite? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like when we talk about Greek life, like, are these marginal changes that your national headquarters is asking you to make actually going to do anything? Or is your history and tradition and culture and identity so steeped in certain values that it's it's going to be hard to get away from that no matter how many slaps on the wrist you get? I also just don't... I think a company that was built on either exploiting or taking advantage or grooming or objectifying all of the above women across decades i don't think that it's women's job to come in and try to save this company from going to the ground you know like i don't think that it needs to even be a c-suite of all women that come in and save the day for playboy's reputation like maybe playboy has run its course and it's all fine you know and i don't think we need to do the boy thing yeah but by women like i can't remember who it was. somebody was talking to the creator of james bond and they were talking about would there ever be a woman is James Bond. And they were like, no, because why don't we just write a story about women rather than fitting women into a story about men? Right. We don't need to just swap it out and call that equity. No, that's so true. It's also interesting because I think there is a statistic that female CEOs are often brought on while a company is failing. Ugh, so <laughs> performative. I'm not totally sure why that is, but then people will point to the financial performance of companies led by women and say, see, they can't do it. Women are worse CEOs. We can't just mm -hmm. be hiring to fill a quota, affirmative action, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. then you realize, well, correlation does not equal causation. What was mm -hmm. the state of the company that these women inherited? It turns out it's failing. Um, but yeah, to your point, like, we don't need to bring in women to um, this clean up your mess flailing company. Yeah, to clean it up. Exactly. 
Yeah. So that's kind of the end of the road. Um, I'm curious, like, what you think the legacy of Playboy was, not necessarily now, but even then. Like, do you think it was as disruptive to the culture as Hugh Hefner hoped, or at least meaningfully disruptive in some way? I mean, it's hard to... it's hard to tell from this vantage point, mm-hmm. but like Gloria Steinem ended up kind of showcasing, he was really just making it easier for men to have access to the sexual fantasies that they had in a public way. And I don't think that's particularly disruptive of any norm because men have had access to the sex they want from the beginning of time. <laughs> right. At any cost. And it's still very much culturally was something I understood to be hidden under someone's bed, like literally and yes. figuratively. It wasn't something that suddenly now we're all normalizing sex or at least men amongst themselves are normalizing no. sex. Like I didn't understand or I didn't get the impression that people would like very readily admit to like someone they're just meeting or met a few months ago. Yeah. And like my Playboy subscription, da, 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 da. Like I never got that impression. No, or like middle school boys going to a gas station and trying to open the pages without ripping the plastic to like see their first boob. You know, that's what I thought about. And that's why that that scene in Friends when Chandler and Ross are fighting over who wrote the joke that gets published in Playboy. And Joey says, jokes? You know they're naked chicks in here, right? <laughs> like, even if he had these interesting articles inside, I really don't think that's why people were buying it. Yeah. And I don't think that... I really think it was geared towards male sexual liberation. Yeah. Which I will concede that men have a lot of sexual repression and are not allowed to express themselves or explore their sexuality without being shunned. Mm -hmm. And especially in that post-war period, I just don't think that someone's liberation can really be liberation if it's not everyone's. Right. Because if the only way that you can feel free within yourself is to objectify someone else, then that's not freedom. No, that's such a good point. And it's also still because I think we all have feminine and masculine energies since femininity and masculinity are literally the most arbitrary imaginable things, we end up when we liberate only one group out of many, we end up reinforcing that power structure where let's say a man, okay, now he at least feels like he has permission maybe to have these like certain sexual fantasies or to express that or to like not feel ashamed about looking at this picture in this magazine. If it's still positioning women as inferior or as objects or like femininity as something to control and desire, but not ever uh, like ever express, Mm -hmm. you're still not liberated. You're still not letting yourself and your spirit Mm -hmm. be feminine in the ways that like you probably were hardwired to be. We all of our spirits are a mix of feminine and masculine because we've made up what those two things are. They're not Mm -hmm. biologically inherent at all. And so to your point, yeah, you're still not liberated when we are subjugating another group because part of, we are all connected. We are all similar. We are much more similar than we are different. And if you're subjugating one group because of its femininity, and you are also in your own right, feminine, maybe in ways you don't show publicly, but you know you are feminine, you will never truly be fully liberated. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah, that's what I think the legacy of Playboy is. I think it's, as as it's subtitled, entertainment for men. (laughs) You know what? At least it announces itself as such. <laughs> yeah. Well, R.I.P. Hugh. So many crazy stories.
Culture Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.